Books can take us around the world. They can take us to the intimate spaces of human experiences, and they can help us grow through their words. Stay tuned for People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. I am Janice Leibovitz, and you are my People of the Book. Wow, interesting times we are living in, aren't they? So, isn't it great that we have books to escape into? Because um, when life becomes too much. Let's just read a book and go wherever we please because reality sometimes does just get a bit too much. So as it's month end, I thought we'd do a bit of a review roundup, what's out there. There's been loads of new books, and it seems that I found that in the past, all the great books and the big authors used to bring out their new books kind of beginning of December, end of November, that seems to be a thing of the past because they all seem to be coming out around now. So I think they think maybe people are thinking ahead, maybe holidays come a bit earlier, who knows. A lot of big names have brought out books recently. So I thought it's time to do a review roundup, what is on the shelves now, what there is to read, what I've read lately. So let's without further ado, get straight into it. If you are a fan of, I don't know if it's fantasy, it's definitely escapism, then T.J. Clune is definitely a name that you'll be familiar with. And you probably will have read The House of the Cerulean Sea and Under the Whispering Door, uh, Under the Whispering Door being his most recent book, which was really popular. And... His latest offering is the beginning of a series, the Green Creek series, and it's called Wolf Song. You can't miss the eye-catching cover, A Howling Wolf. And it's the story of Ox, who was 12 when his father taught him a very valuable lesson, uh, being that Ox wasn't worth anything and that people would never understand him. And then his father left. And Ox was 16 when he met the boy on the road, the boy who talked and talked and talked. But Ox found out later that that boy hadn't spoken in almost two years before that day. And the boy belonged to a family who had moved into the house at the end of the lane. Ox was 17 when he found out the boy's secret and had painted the world around him in colors of red and orange and violet. Ox was 23 when murder came to town and tore a hole in his head and heart. The boy chased after the monster with revenge in his blood-red eyes leaving Ox behind to pick up the pieces. It's been three years since that fateful day, and now the boy is back, except that now he's a man, and Ox can no longer ignore the song that howls between them. Uh, you may have realized this is actually a story that is about werewolves. So whether you are a werewolf fan, a vampire fan, whichever house you fall into, maybe this one is for you. It was apparently originally published in 2016, and it's now been released as the first of a saga. I don't know if the following stories have were previously released, but it is set in the lush green forests of Oregon, and it is a wonderful world of mystery and magic. That is Wolf Song by T.J. Clune. I've got lots more coming up. You're listening to People of the Book. I love it when you read to me. This is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. 
You're listening to People of the Book, and today I'm doing a bit of a review roundup. There's lots of new books on the shelves from lots of big-name, best-selling authors, so I thought now would be a great time to go through what's out there, what's new, and what you should be looking at for your reading lists. Uh, before the break, we took a look at the new T.J. Klune book, Wolf Song. Now on to another huge name, Kate Atkinson. She is, of course, the best-selling, award-winning author of Life After Life. And her new book, again, uh, she's well-known for her Dickensian-type writing. And her new one is Shrines of Gaiety. And she once again transports us to the dazzling London of the Roaring Twenties. It's a whirlwind tale of corruption, seduction, and deaths that have come due. It's 1926, and the country is still recovering from the Great Wall. London has become the focus of a delirious new nightlife. And in the clubs of Soho, peers of the realm rub shoulders with starlets, foreign dignitaries with gangsters, and girls sell dances for a shilling a time. The notorious queen of this glittering world is Nellie Coker. She's ruthless, but also ambitious to advance her six children, including the enigmatic eldest, Niven, whose character has been forged in the crucible of the Somme. But success breeds enemies, and Nellie's empire faces threats from within and without. For beneath the dazzle, dazzle of Soho's gaiety, there's a dark underbelly, a world in which it is all too easy to become lost. Kate Atkinson once again gives us a window into a vanished world. She's slyly funny, brilliantly observant, and her plotting is absolutely ingenious. Shrines of Gaiety showcases um, the myriad talents that have made her one of the most lauded writers of our time. Shrines of Gaiety is historical, suspenseful, funny, witty, naughty and nice. It's filled with betrayals, corruption, dreams of stardom, lowlife, nightclubs, secrets, family, marriage, boyfriends, gangs, bad cops, hedonism. London nightlife during the jazz aura in the 1920s and even a little romance. There are vivacious, blundering, quirky characters, young, old, innocent and sinful, and it has a bittersweet ending. I'm not going to give anything else away, and I don't think I have, but it's quite descriptive. She holds on to her reputation as a smart and phenomenally talented author, and she gives us another rocking romp of a novel. That is Shrines of Gaiety. It sounds absolutely fantastic. Um, I've only recently acquired that one, and it's sitting on my shelf waiting for the perfect time to be read. It sounds like fabulous escapism. The next one, another huge popular name, Ronald H. Balson. And I know that, that he's hugely popular, although I have heard it said that his books are starting to get a little bit boring and quite predictable. So I'm not sure how you feel about him. Uh, however you might feel, his new one is out now. It's called An Affair of Spies. He was the winner of the National Jewish Book Award, and this one is about a spy mission to rescue a defector from Germany and prevent the Nazis from creating an atomic bomb. Nathan Silverman grew up in Berlin in the 1920s. 
He was the son of a homemaker and a theoretical physicist. His idyllic childhood was soon marred by the increasing levels of bigotry against his family and the rest of the Jewish community. And after his uncle is arrested on Kristallnacht, and I'm going to remind you that the anniversary of that is coming up soon, 9th of November, he leaves Germany for New York City with only his mother's wedding ring to sell for survival. While attending an evening course at Columbia in 1941, Nathan notices a recruitment poster on a university wall and decides to enlist in the military to help fight the Nazis. To his surprise, he's quickly selected for a special assignment. He's trained as a spy and he's ordered to report to the Manhattan Project. He learns that the Allies are racing to develop a nuclear weapon before the Nazis and a German theoretical physicist is hoping to defect. The physicist was a friend of his father's, and Nathan's mission is to return to Berlin via France and smuggle him out of Europe. Europe. He is to be accompanied by Dr. Alison Fisher, who is a brilliant young scientist who speaks French. He travels to her lab at the University of Chicago for a crash course in nuclear physics, and they then embark on their adventure. Of course, they soon develop feelings for each other, and as their relationship deepens, they move ever closer to their dangerous goal. Will they be able to escape Europe with the defector and start a new life together, or will they fail their mission and become two more casualties of war? While this story and many of the characters in it are fictional, the race for nuclear science was a very real part of World War II, though it was kept tightly under wraps for obvious reasons. It's thrilling, it's complex, it's scientific. But along with so many other World War II novels, it sheds light on the brave men and women who were willing to put their lives on the line for the greater good. An Affair of Spies is an action-packed tale of heroism and love in the face of unspeakable evil. Author Ronald H. Balson has applied his unmatched talent for evocative and painstakingly authentic storytelling to the high-stakes world of espionage and created his most thrilling novel yet. As I said, depending how you are starting to feel about his novels, whether you love every single one for what it is, Look, his research is great. Um, they are, look, I mean, he writes along the same theme every single time, let's be honest. He, he does stick to trope. Let's, you know, that's what he writes. He writes World War II fiction. Um, and however you feel, as I said, some people are feeling that he's becoming a bit boring. Um, I haven't read this one myself. I only got it this week. Uh, however you feel, you know, if, if he's an author, some people have their authors where they'll automatically see the name, buy the book regardless. So maybe this one's for you. Maybe you've had enough of him. However you feel, this is his new one. It's called An Affair of Spies. The next one is another big name, Emma Donahue. She who wrote Room which I think, was that her first book? I'm not even sure. This her, her new one is Haven. Emma Donoghue originated from Ireland, and I think most of her books are actually set there. This one is very different. It's written in 7th century Ireland. That's where it's set. Three men vow to leave the world behind them and start anew. 7th century Ireland, 
a scholar and priest called Art, has a dream telling him to leave the sinful world behind. He takes two monks with him, young Trian and old Cormac, and he travels down the River Shannon in search of an isolated spot on which to found a monastery. Drifting out into the Atlantic, the three men find an impossibly steep, bare island inhabited by tens of thousands of birds and claim it for God. Their extraordinary landing spot is now known as Skellig Michael, but in such a place, far from all other humanity, what will survival mean? Haunting, moving, and vividly told, Haven displays Emma Donoghue's trademark word-building and psychological intensity, but this tale is like nothing she has ever written before. That's Haven. It's the new offering by Emma Donoghue. I have some more news about her, but I'll tell you about that shortly. You're listening to some reviews on People of the Book. I love it when you read to me. This is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. You're listening to me. I'm Janice Leibovitz, and it's People of the Book. We are doing a bit of a review roundup now that it's the end of the month, getting to the end of the year. Lots of big names bringing out their new books at this time of year. And before the break, I was telling you about Emma Donoghue's new book, Haven. And if you are a fan, you might be interested to know that the film version of her book, The Wonder, is due to be released early next month. It actually premiered, I think, this past week, if I'm not mistaken. Um, apparently, it will be available on Netflix mid-November. I'm not sure if it's going to be available on Netflix in South Africa, but generally we do seem to get a lot of the mainstream releases that are on Netflix globally, so hopefully we'll get this one too. In case you're not familiar with this story, uh, it takes place in the Irish Midlands in 1862, where an 11-year-old girl stops eating but remains miraculously alive and well. And an English nurse by the name of Liberite is brought in to observe her, and tourists and pilgrims flock to witness this religious girl, Anna, who is said to have survived without food for months. And, of course, the doubters come as well, like a journalist by the name of Will Byrne, who believes that someone is secretly giving Anna food. Uh, October In October, Netflix released the first trailer where an unspecified character tells the nurse, Lib, that it's not her job to question. She's only there to watch. And after 14 days of this observation, Lib and another woman are meant to give separate testimony. And later on in the trailer, Lib is heard to say, I'm here to find out the truth. And it sounds fascinating. Apparently it is based loosely on fact. There were uh, young women in the 1800s, I don't know if it was all around the world, specifically in one place, who were said to fast for days, months on end, and who miraculously did remain alive and well. I haven't researched this, but apparently this is what it's based on. So if you're a fan of Emma Donoghue, this might interest you, a film version of The Wonder. And I know that the film version of her book, Room, was extremely popular and successful when it came out. Speaking also of film adaptations, I know there's always a big debate. Is the film better than the book? 
I'm not going to go into that again now. I did a whole show on that some time back. There is a film out, uh, I think it comes out today, actually. I was lucky enough to see a preview of it. It's uh, called Call Jane. And a book came out earlier this year called Looking for Jane. It was by Heather Marshall, based on the network of Janes uh, back in the 60s when abortion was banned. And you could call Jane. And there was a network of illegal abortionists where you could get an illegal abortion done safely. And if you've read Looking for Jane, look, it's an outstanding book. And if you want to go and see the film called Jane, I wouldn't even call it an adaptation of the book. It is completely different. I don't even think it claims to be an adaptation. It is talk about loosely based. Uh, I don't even think the characters are have the same names, but it's uh, the story is is similar. You'll you'll recognise the story. That's probably all you'll recognise. Everything else is totally different. But it's a very good film. It's hugely relevant. Uh, Roe versus Wade, as we know, was overturned this year. It uh, it's it's hugely relevant, and you'll see if, if you go and see the film where I mean, women's lives hung in the balance, and everything was decided by men. Misogynistic arrogant men and I'm not going to say anything further the film is actually excellent it stars Sigourney Weaver it's uh, as I say not really an adaptation of looking for Jane but you might recognize the story if you want to go and view this film it is outstanding and I'm sure it'll be up for quite a few awards right back to books as I said, lots of big names, and here's another one, and maybe, probably, slightly controversial, John Boyne, he of the boy in the striped pajamas. Uh, I don't know if he's quite, yes, maybe a sequel. His second book in, well, it's not a series, but the follow-up to the boy in the striped pajamas is All the Broken Places. And there were many, and there are many, who dismiss the boy in the striped pajamas as irresponsible and reckless in the way that it portrays the Holocaust, uh, with a lot of misinformation and the misplaced sympathy that is displayed in that book. It's quite disturbing. The only positive that they say to come out of that novel was that it brought many people into Holocaust museums for further clarification and education, particularly about Auschwitz. Uh, Boyne himself was apparently dismissed. He dismissed, he dismissed responsibility for the burden of education in writing about the Holocaust, and he proposed that that applies only to nonfiction. He does, however, acknowledge that the burden of exploring emotional truths and authentic human experiences is the responsibility of fiction. Does he manage to achieve that in this book? I'll leave that for you to decide. So, what is this one about? It's described as a devastating, beautiful story about a woman who must confront the sins of her own terrible past and a present in which it is never too late for bravery. It is about 91-year-old Gretel Fernsby, She's lived in the same well-to-do mansion block in London for decades. She lives a quiet, comfortable life, despite her deeply disturbing dark past. She never talks about her escape from Nazi Germany at the age of 12, 
and she never talks about the grim post-war years in France with her mother. Most of all, she doesn't talk about her father, who was the commandant of one of the Reich's most notorious extermination camps. But then, a new family moves into the apartment below her, and in spite of herself, Gretel cannot help but begin a friendship with the little boy whose name is Henry, although his presence brings back memories she would rather forget. One night, she witnesses a disturbing, violent argument between Henry's beautiful mother and his arrogant father, one that threatens Gretel's hard-won, self-contained existence. All the Broken Places moves back and forth in time between Gretel's girlhood in Germany to present-day London as a woman whose life has been haunted by the past. Now Gretel faces a similar crossroads to one she encountered long ago. Back then, she denied her own complicity, but now, faced with a chance to interrogate her guilt, grief and remorse, she can choose to save a young boy. If she does, she will be forced to reveal the secrets she has spent a lifetime protecting. This time, she can make a different choice than before, whatever the cost to herself. This one is All the Broken Places by John Boyne. It is the follow-up, as I said, to The Boy in the Striped Pajamas. And I will leave that for you to decide as to whether the burden of exploring emotional truths and authentic human experiences has been achieved. Has he taken it on? Has he achieved it? He acknowledges that that is a responsibility of fiction. Um, and he did acknowledge that, I mean, his first book was fiction, no matter how it is perceived and dismissed by Holocaust educators. So that's All the Broken Places by John Boyne. Next one, also a big name, Sarah Pierce, her first bestseller, The Sanatorium, was a Reese's book club, book club pick. And this is her follow-up book, The Retreat. It features Detective Ellen Warner, who also featured in that first book, The Sanatorium, which, as I said, was a New York Times bestseller. And in this one, The Retreat, Ellen Warner is back. She needs to uncover the truth behind suspicious deaths on a stunning island getaway. It's an eco-wellness retreat called Lumen, and it's opened on an island off the English coast. It's actually based on an island off the coast of Devon, where apparently you can only reach it by boat. And there have been a couple of books that have set their retreats on this coastal island. It's quite interesting because they're all dark and disturbing and this island apparently is rumoured to be cursed, as it is in this book. And she has named this island Reaper's Rock, has a dark past. It was once the playground of a serial killer. And Detective Ellen Warner is called to the retreat when a young woman's body is found on the rocks below the yoga pavilion in what seems to be a tragic fall. But the victim wasn't actually a guest. 
at the retreat and she wasn't meant to be on the island at all. Then, when a guest drowns in a diving incident the following day, Ellen starts to suspect that there's nothing accidental about these deaths. But why would someone target the guests and who else is in danger? As the body count starts to rise, Ellen must find the killer before the island's history starts to repeat itself. But she herself has a connection to the island. Her boyfriend, Will, was the architect, and his sister, Farah, works there as the manager. So we're introduced to a group of guests, which consists of Hannah, who's a young widow, Joe, who is her sister, who's actually the organizer for their group of this trip, she is self-centered, she's an influencer, and she got this free invitation to promote the retreat. Her boyfriend, Seth, is very wealthy, he's rich and athletic. Maya is their cousin who's come with them. She's still suffering from a childhood trauma. She's just lost her job. She's also lost her apartment. And Caleb is the nerdy, intellectual boyfriend of Joe and Hannah's sister, B, who actually hasn't joined them for this vacation. She's cancelled at the last minute because of an urgent business trip, but she sent the boyfriend along so that the family can spend more time to get to know him. None of this group is particularly likable. They're actually not very nice people. Their dynamics crackle off the page, and that actually makes for a more exciting read. I do find that characters that aren't likable, the reading is, you, you just want to know, well, what are they going to get up to next? What are they going to say to each other next? You know, they're just so horrible. And you just want to see how, how those dynamics work. It just, to me, that, that sometimes makes for better reading, especially when the author is able to write well. Of course, horrible characters and horrible writing don't mesh well. But if the writing's good and the characters are awful, that works really well together. As I said, the dynamics just spark, and it's quite a page-turner. You want to see who's going to die next, the body count rises, what is going to happen. It's, it's really a good cracker of a read. It's a great holiday read, actually. And it's called The Retreat by Sarah Pierce. As I said, the first book was a Reese's Book Club pick, Watch the space because Reese Witherspoon often takes those picks and turns them into movies or TV series. So it should be interesting to see what happens next with that. Um, just to digress slightly, let's take a look at a nonfiction book. If you are interested in royalty of a difference, then you will know that Charlene Whitstock married Prince Albert of Monaco in 2011. It was a star-studded wedding. It was watched by millions across the world. And I'm intrigued by her because whenever you see pictures of her, she just looks so unhappy. She's beautiful. She's statuesque. She's elegant. She's got grace and style, but she's just got such a deep, cold sadness behind her eyes. And there's a book that's come out, Charlene in Search of a Princess by Arlene Prinsloo, has just been released. And there were rumors of her getting cold feet and uh, lots of rumors about Prince Albert's love children. 
But she's always been in the eye of the paparazzi. She's the center of endless tabloid speculation, malicious rumor-mongering. And is she lonely in glamorous Monaco? Is it a marriage of convenience? What's the status of her health? These are just some of the questions that roll so publicly around her. Journalist Arlene Prince-Lew sifts fact from fiction in this revealing, unauthorized biography. Interesting. Those are usually very juicy. But one does wonder, where does the info come from? And, you know, is someone going to try and just you know, come out with an authorized biography that is totally diametrically opposed to everything that is in this unauthorized biography. We'll have to wait and see. So, as I said, a revealing unauthorized biography of Her Serene Highness, Princess Charlene. Prince Lou traces her life from humble beginnings in Zimbabwe, Johannesburg and Durban to the Olympic Games, her jet-set romance with the Bachelor Prince, the fairy tale wedding and becoming a mother to twins. At its heart, it's the story of a woman in search of happiness for herself and her family, and also of the beginning of Charlene defining her own space amid the royal protocol. Uh, it's not a big book. It looks quite quick and easy to get through. There are limited photos. I always love the photos in these biographies and autobiographies. I would have hoped for more. I was looking for more out of this one. Very limited. And only a couple of more recent pictures. I would have expected more, quite honestly, in a book like this, especially seeing as it's unauthorized. I would have expected a lot more pictures, but um, only a few and mostly dating much further back, which is quite interesting from when she was much younger. A lot of pictures from when she was a swimmer. Quite interesting. Arlene Prinsloo, if you're interested, is a veteran journalist. She's worked for Network 24, Report, Die Burger and Bild, and her career actually spans 30 years. She's covered Royal News as a blogger for Sari and Network 24, and she lives in Cape Town. So if you are interested in all things royal, this is Charlene in Search of a Princess by Arlene Prinsloo. I still have more book info to come after this. I love it when you read to me. This is People of the Book with Janice Liebowitz. You're listening to People of the Book. And today I'm doing a roundup of loads of new fantastic books from best-selling authors that have just hit the shelves. As I said earlier... Um, these authors, all the big names, used to release their books kind of towards the end of November, beginning of December for the holiday season. But a lot of them seems to have, seem to have just released books now, a bit earlier than usually expected. And there are loads, lots not to be missed. So if you are looking to add to your reading list, there is so much going on now. Lots of exciting new releases from huge best-selling names. And the next one, hugely anticipated, such excitement, and I have to tell you, brilliant, loved every second. It is new from Richard Osman. If you love the Thursday Murder Club, you're going to love this one. It is Thursday Murder Club, book number three, The Bullet That Missed. And let me tell you, I think he gets 
better with each one. Uh, the bullet that missed, the whole gang is back. It's an ordinary Thursday. Things should finally be returning to normal. But as we know, trouble is never far away when the Thursday Murder Club are concerned. A local news legend is on the hunt for a sensational headline, and soon the gang are hot on the trail of two murders, ten years apart. To make matters worse, a new nemesis pays Elizabeth a visit, presenting her with a deadly mission, kill or be killed. While Elizabeth grapples with her conscience and a gun, the gang and their unlikely new friends including TV stars, money launderers, and ex-KGB colonels, unravel a new mystery. But can they catch, catch the culprit and save Elizabeth before the murderer strikes again? Yes, the gang is all back at Cooper's Case Chase Retirement Village in the English countryside. There's Elizabeth, a former MI5 operative with loads of great connections, Joyce, a former nurse and woman of many skills, she loves solving puzzles and always knows the perfect cake to bake for every occasion. There's Ibrahim, a retired psychiatrist with a keen eye for reading body language. And Ron, a retired union leader and a man known for getting things done. And of course, over the course of the past two books, They've accumulated a bit of a following, so this time they've brought along their sidekicks, Donna, Chris, and Bodgun. And if you ask me, the series gets better with each book. And while I found the first one a bit lukewarm, I loved the second one, and I absolutely adored this one. Richard Osmond's humor is absolutely, it's hilarious. And his ability to inject it into some really bizarre situations is just compelling. He's created each character so completely that reading one of these books is like picking up with old friends right where you left off. Yes, they are elderly and they're set in their ways, but no two days are the same. And when you're with them, you are you know you're in for an absolutely quirky, wild ride. It is so, so English and it's it's just his books are fabulous. And apparently he's just, he's given up everything else he was doing. His TV shows that he was presenting, everything. And now he writes full time. So for me, despite all the shenanigans that this crew get up to, my favorite part of this book specifically, and it's grown and evolved, is the relationship between Steely Elizabeth and her absolutely beloved husband, Stephen and his steadily deteriorating dementia, Osmond deals with this with such beauty and empathy that I found myself just smiling with every chapter that they're in together. Elizabeth, with her tough exterior, who absolutely adores this man, who disappears a little bit more right before her eyes every single day, but who still surprises her by what knowledge might be lurking behind those once bright eyes that she knows grow a little bit dimmer all the time. That's where Richard Osmond's gift truly, truly shines. The Thursday Murder Club series is a winner in my eyes, and this is the latest in the series. It's called The Bullet That Missed.
absolutely love it and highly, highly recommend it. For something a bit different, non-fiction, The Surfer and the Sage, A Guide to Survive and Ride Life's Waves. It's by our very own South African award-winning surfer, Sean Thompson, and Noah Ben Shea. Sometimes life's waves knock you down. Other times life might seem to sweep you along powerless. But the choice is always yours to swim back up to the light. Legendary world champion surfer Sean Thompson and international best-selling poet and philosopher Noah Ben Shea join forces to offer you insight on a path of purpose, hope, and faith. This timely guidebook alternates between Thompson's inspiring experiential essays and Ben Shea's spiritual commentary that lift the soul, all accented with stunning full-color surfing photographs, and they really are amazing photos. I just have to wonder how how they stay on the surfboard, first of all, and how these pics get taken. They are fabulous. After losing his son, Thompson walked the bitter road of loss and crossed from darkness into the light. The Surfer and the Sage addresses the 18 relentless breaking waves of life, from loss and aging to relationships and depression, and it guides you to transformation. It's not a list of rules to follow that guarantees success, health, or wealth, but rather a collection of advice from two guides who have traveled far and wide and suffered deeply, but still look forward to tomorrow with faith and hope. And, I mean, this is from two people who've been on very different paths and who have come together to share their insight in this really beautiful little book. It's this little hardcover book. It's gorgeous. And Thompson also shares a lot about the loss of his mother, where he went on a journey after that as well. And really, I highly recommend this book if you are looking for some inspiration that's maybe a bit different to what has been on the shelves up until now. It's called The Surfer and the Sage, A Guide to Survive and Ride Life's Waves by Noah Benchet and Sean Thompson. Um, as I said, really, it's highly recommended. Very different. Um, another nonfiction and, oh, huge, huge, fast uh, leaving the previous book behind, uh, Farm Killings in South Africa by Dr. Nahama Brody. Very few farm murders appear to be committed for political reasons, but the response to them is often political. Making up less than half a percent of all homicides reported each year, farm killings dominate the national narrative on violence. At the heart of the conflict is a long history of violence on agricultural land and deep-rooted fears and prejudices about race, belonging, and who gets to feel safe in South Africa. In this powerful new book, journalist and violence researcher Dr. Nahama Brody, author of Femicide in South Africa, challenges many of the myths used to narrate farm killings. The book explores news reports, data, legal cases, and expert research on violence on farms, including violence experienced by farm laborers and in black communities surrounding mostly white-owned farmlands, which is often overlooked and underreported. 
The story it reveals lays bare the connections and disconnections between people, place and past that contribute to the violence of the present. Farm Killings in South Africa provides a compelling and heartbreaking record of the reality of violence in South Africa and offers suggestions as to what could be done to achieve a safer shared future for all. And um, Nahama Brody, I mean, her research also in-depth, insightful, and this is, I think, a very, very important book for our landscape here in South Africa and to what we see as motivation behind these murders. You're listening to Janice Leibovitz on People of the Book. I love it when you read to me. This is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. You are listening to People of the Book, and I am Janice Leibovitz. And today I've been giving you a bit of a review roundup, lots of great new books on the shelves from huge names, best-selling authors who have brought out their books early before the holiday season. So if you are looking to add to your reading list, there is so much out there. And I'm just giving you really a bite-sized chunk of what is currently on the shelves. And I'm sure there is a lot more to come. So just keep keep an eye out, keep looking. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot more coming in the coming few weeks. So another one from a really popular local South African author, and this one has been a long time coming, and so, so excited about this book. It's from James Hendry, and he started out, I mean, he's he's really a well-known, um, he's a safari guide, he's a trainer, he's a head ranger, manager, researcher, entertainer, but he's also a fantastic author. I've had him on my show um, not for his wildlife books, but for his book, Reggie and Me, that came out in 2020. And long before that, he wrote a book in 2011 called A Year in the Wild, a riotous novel, which was, I remember back then, I was in book club. It was one of our favorite books. I remember by the time it had done the rounds, it was dog-eared, it was falling to pieces, but everyone adored that book. I think it was one of our top reads in book club, without a doubt. That was in 2011. Two years later, he brought out a sequel to that, uh, 2013, Back to the Bush, Another Year in the Wild. Equally funny, hilarious, but with also, I remember, some very poignant messages and some underlying deep-seated truths and themes. So it wasn't all hilarity and it wasn't all, I mean, as funny as it was, and really he's laugh out loud funny. And, and Tony Park even describes him as laugh out loud funny. But apart from that, he has some underlying themes that are really deep and really important and relevant and timely. And the whole point of, of his books is to bring about uh, recognition and for people to be aware of, of wildlife and to be aware of, of our beautiful parks and our beautiful wildlife parks and the danger that our wildlife is in. Now, I mean, nine years later, finally, I mean, this we've waited a long time for this. He's brought out the third in the series, Return to the Wild. Yay. So this one. 
he returns to the setting of Sasakile Private Game Reserve for another tale that takes the reader behind the scenes with the McNaughton brothers, Angus and Hugh. And it's four and a half years since Angus's last year in the wild when he was newly appointed to the position of head ranger at Sasakile. Much has happened in the interim. In Return to the Wild, there is high drama, much hilarity and close encounters with wildlife, fire and human incompetence as Angus unexpectedly returns to Sasakile to take on the training of a motley group of would-be rangers with his usual stark but eloquent honesty. Alongside him, Hugh manages the lodge and its colourful staff with a varying degree of competence as events lurch from mishap to potential catastrophe. Whether you are a fan of the McNaughton's previous misadventures or a reader new to their story, Return to the Wild is a highly amusing, engaging and heartfelt read. And if you are new to this story and you read this one first, I promise you will want to go and read the first two after you read this. Highly, highly, highly recommended. This is James Henry's Return to the Wild. Thrilled that it's finally out and available. So that's been a roundup of new books, what you can add to your reading list. I hope you found something that appeals to you. And I know that there's quite a few here that appeal to me. Um, I've, I've got most of them and they are sitting on my reading pile, bedside table, piled up on the bookshelves. As I always tell you, I think more so this weekend than other weekends. Take care of yourself even more than ever. Take care of each other. Do what you love and read a book.